0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very delicious weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The culinary landscape is ever-evolving, and I want to feed your soul. On this show, you'll hear from chefs and pastry aficionados, restaurateurs and molecular gastronomers, food bloggers and enthusiasts, cookbook authors, wine geeks, beer experts, and more. We dish on fabulous food and wine and spirits, travel, health, and living the best life, So I hope that you won't miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me. You can find me serving up seconds always at chefjamie.com. And if you missed a show or you'd like to master a topic, my podcasts are posted on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And of course, my daily dish And lots of gastronomic inspiration can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So don't touch your dial because I am going to feed your soul this hour. Let's dish, shall we? I like to kick off the conversation every weekend with a tutorial of sorts to make you the best cook you know. And grilling season is no doubt here. And being a serious grilling guru, as I like to call myself, a girl at the grill, it must include the sweeter side of barbecue, don't you think? Now, grilling fruit is the quick wonderful, easy way to add a really elevated addition to every grilled meal, either as an accompaniment to meat, like think uh, pork tenderloin off the barbecue with grilled peaches, or as a delectable dessert, maybe brown sugar and bourbon glazed pineapple over the Tahitian vanilla ice cream. See, now I've made myself hungry. So this conversation is all about the beauty of grilled fruit Now, grilling, we know, causes the natural sugars in the fruit to caramelize, but you also create this new smoky concoction that sort of reminds you of how decadent fruit can be. Now, I have a couple of suggestions when it comes to my best chef's tips. I find that you always want to brush whatever fruit it is that you're grilling with a little bit of olive oil, or if you're going the sweet root, I like melted butter, because the fat not only keeps the fruit from sticking to your grill grates, but it adds another element to the flavor profile. So for a sweet affair of gorgeous grilled desserts, let's experiment, shall we, with the season's best fruit on the grill. Now, mind you, when you're choosing fruit to grill, you wanna go for ripe, but not soft or mushy uh, for really the ultimate texture. So grilled peaches, they're a classic, right? You simply have them, you brush them with olive oil if you're going savory, you grill them into their great grill marks and that smoky flavor is imparted. A little bit of char is important here. And then serve the grilled peaches, let's say alongside chicken or dice them into a salsa with pineapple and red onion. Now for dessert, I like to brush the cut side of ripe grilled peaches or even nectarines with a little bit of melted butter. My secret here is salted butter because the salt brings out the sweet in the fruit. And then once they're brushed with the melted salted butter, I dip them in brown sugar And I grill them until they're bubbly and golden, cut side down always. And then I'll turn them over and let them warm through for another minute or so on the grill. You can actually grill just about any stone fruit, plums, apricots. You might consider adding vanilla paste or dried spices. By the way, I love vanilla paste so much more than even vanilla extract. It has the uh, vanilla bean the little speckles of vanilla throughout and it's a neutral gel that the vanilla bean is suspended in and vanilla paste just packs so much more of a punch when it comes to flavor than vanilla extract ever could and you can find vanilla paste in most of your high-end grocery store shelves or gourmet markets today uh, you can always uh, serve the grilled fruit with ice cream Or whipped cream, or why not do even better and put a dollop of creme fraiche or mascarpone on top. And then with those grilled peaches that I mentioned, if you're choosing savory instead of sweet, I like to serve them as a first course and I'll crumble gorgonzola or gorgonzola dolce, an even creamier, sweeter version of gorgonzola cheese on top of the grilled peaches. Sometimes I'll lay out a piece or two of prosciutto, drizzle with reduced balsamic vinegar, Or um, I got my hands on some chocolate honey recently. Oh, it's so good. And yes, it's a beautiful compliment to the grilled peaches and the cheese. So you say you want more ideas? Oh, okay. How about combining a handful of your favorite berries with a sprinkling of sugar, a drop of almond extract, because a little goes a long way, putting it into a foil packet and putting it directly on the grill. Because five minutes after your ribs are done, you take those fruity foil packets off the grill and you pour the bubbling, juicy, delicious mixture over grilled pound cake or a big bowl of ice cream or even alongside angel food cake. And you have this beautiful berry dessert that's totally and deliciously kissed by the barbecue. Now, if you're new to grilling fruit, pineapple is an excellent place to start. It has lots of surface area to get nice grill marks on it and it never dries out by the way. But the heat of the grill brings out the pineapple sweetness. So for starters, cut a ripe pineapple in half or in quarters the long way so that the core is still intact and um, place it on your barbecue until the grill marks appear. Then if you season it with black pepper, let's say a squeeze of lime juice and a drizzle of honey, it pairs brilliantly with pork chops. For the sweet version, I slice my pineapple into circles or rings and you can take the core out if you like, although I happen to like to munch on it. And the best way to take it out um, is <laughs> with a, uh, a pastry cutter, right? So, or uh, you could also use the tip for a pastry bag, you know, when you go to make pretty decorations on top of the cake. The underside of the pastry bag, uh, the, The piece that fits in, right? Uh, It makes a perfect circle, by the way, and it's great for a cutout. It's a pastry tip, to be exact. Now, I like to take for the sweeter version of grilled pineapple, cinnamon sugar, dust my pineapple, grill it till it's caramelized, and then serve it alongside gelato. Or I've been known to puree it and make grilled pineapple ice cream. Oh yes, you add the puree, or you could even just cut it into chunks, to your custard base, and You have grilled pineapple goodness in the form of ice cream. Or how about a grilled pineapple colada? Oh yes, that brings me to grilled cocktails. So I love to grill fruit and then I blend it to make smoky sensational cocktails and I call it from the grill to the glass. So... Grilled pineapple becomes a grilled colada. That'll keep you cool this summer. Grilled peaches become a grilled bellini. And grilled grapefruit with the grilled lime or two, just the juice after it's been grilled, becomes a grilled grapefruit mojito. Oh, yes. And in fact, stay tuned because I have a grilled cocktail recipe coming up just at the end of the hour. For the non-alcoholic variety, though, listen here. Have you ever made grilled lemonade? Oh, I love this recipe. So you take lemons and cut them in half and you dip the cut side in granulated sugar and then you grill the lemons until they're nicely browned and warm throughout, which by the way, brings out their juice. Then you squeeze them into a bowl, uh, preferably over a strainer so that you cut out the pulp and any seeds that might fall. And I add more sugar uh, just so it's not too tart. You could use honey or agave if you like. Um, Oftentimes, I'll throw a couple of rosemary sprigs on the grill while I'm grilling the lemons and it tends to take on that herbaceous flavor just a little bit. That um, imparting of of the herb is just beautiful. And then you add uh, cold water and ice and you essentially have what is grilled lemonade transfer it to a pitcher, put it out on your picnic table and watch everybody delight in a new summertime treat. And finally, no matter the season, if you slice open rather a banana, but lengthwise, um, and you leave it in its peel and you grill it with the open side down for a couple of minutes, you have a grilled banana in its peel. But flip it over and add some Chopped good quality dark chocolate or even Nutella into the seam of the banana or do brown sugar and cinnamon or do mini marshmallows with graham cracker crumbs and chocolate chips or do crumbled Nilla wafers with a drizzle of caramel all into the seam of that grilled banana still in its peel but cut open to expose the contents. Then close the grill and leave it there for a few minutes so the chocolate melts or the Nutella warms. And you have a killer dessert that you will want some more of. Oh yes, I'm sorry. I had to go there. I had no choice. <laughs> My best grilled fruit recipes, by the way, are at chefjamie.com for the taking. So please do check it out. And let me know what grilled cocktails grace your table. I love grilled fruit. I really do. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We're playing with fire today because grilling guru Steven Raichlen is here. A James Beard award-winning New York Times best-selling author who is also the host of multiple acclaimed PBS cooking shows that we love. Steven has shaped the country's fixation with live fire cooking, including his latest project called Project Smoke. Stephen's 31st cookbook is available now, entitled Project Fire, cutting-edge techniques and sizzling recipes from the caveman porterhouse to salt slab brownie s'mores. Yum. And my longtime friend Stephen Reichlin is here to dish, and I am very delighted. It's so nice to have you back. Hi, Stephen.
2: Hi, it's great to be back. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you. Okay, after 31 books, 7 TV series two decades of barbecue university classes 60 countries and six continents traveled what is new what new insight can you share about grilling please
2: my goodness there (laughs) is so much new there are new grills uh new grilling techniques like cavemanning there are new dishes there are whole new meals that we never dreamt we could cook on the grill for example, Project Fire opens with a chapter on grilled breakfast. Yes. I don't know about you, Jamie, but when I was coming of age and growing up, you never grilled breakfast.
1: No, that's true, nor did you grill dessert, but we have come a long way. I love this term cave manning. Can you define it, please? Yeah,
2: so cavemanning, you know, it's the world's oldest and most primal way of grilling. Uh, you uh, basically grill the meat or vegetables or seafood Directly on the embers,
1: and those those embers give you a a char and a crust and a flavor profile that we've not seen as intensely uh, as as way back when this cavemaning concept was created.
2: Yeah, it's a very different flavor. You can take the same T-bone steak, cook it on a conventional grill, Uh even if you're working over charcoal, it would taste utterly different than if you lay it on the embers. Mm -hmm. And I think what it has to do is there's a surface charring. There's even a little bit of grit from the cinders that helps give you uh, extra flavor. Completely different texture and taste.
1: And and I love it. The
2: cool factor is off the charts. Yeah, you know, that's true. When you when people watch you take a ninety dollar steak and lay it on the embers <laughs> uh, or directly on the coals, uh, it's you know shock dismay, anxiety, and then finally giving way to incredible satisfaction.
1: Yeah, barbecue hero worship at that point, right? Right. (laughs) Um, The grilling world has always been a dichotomy to me, Stephen. It's a mix of high tech and old school today more than ever. And there are, right, there are these digital genius tools. There's the old school pellet smoker. Do you use a mix of equipment to sort of converge, the old and the new? Well, I write about
2: a mix of uh, equipment, and I certainly write about all the new digital tools, but I'm a pretty old-school guy. And I would say that, uh, you know, in terms of um, I I, I work with my hands, I work with my eyes, I love burning charcoal, I love burning wood. Uh, You're not going to find me sort of programming everything into my iPhone and setting (laughs) it and forgetting it. However, I'm also a pragmatist. And if this is what it takes to get readers and uh, and viewers grilling, you know, my, my goal is to get people grilling. So if that's what it takes, you know, I'm willing to go along with it. But me, I, I'm an old school smoke and fire guy.
1: Yeah, and I like that about you. So let's talk old school for a minute, because I think wood chips might be considered somewhat old school today. And you, you talk about the debate. As to whether to soak or not to soak. That is the question.
2: The idea is you're using wood chips for smoking, not grilling, but in smoking. And uh, the soak school, to which I adhere, holds (laughs) that when you soak the chips, they are slower to catch fire. And it's that smoldering point, that's when the smoke is emitted from the wood chips. Now, if you put unsoaked wood chips on a charcoal fire, they're going to catch fire in a couple of minutes, and that's not going to give you very much smoke. Um, the other school which says don't smoke, uh, don't soak the chips, um, I'm not sure what the rationale is behind, but uh, you, you know they claim to be bolstered by science. Uh, I'd try, try a simple experiment. Light two charcoal fires and two uh, kettle grills, uh, soak the chips in one grill don't soak the chips in the other and you you know you can see with your eyes you get much longer uh, uh, smoother more even smoke stream with soaked
1: chips okay so we're, we're still soaking that's a good we're thing still soaking. yes and how about smoker pouches you talk about that in project fire
2: I do now a, a, a smoker pouch this is a, a sort of workaround for people who are working on gas grills and it's Gas grills, you know, the drawback of a gas grill has kind of been chronically difficult to smoke on a gas grill. So what you do is take, take your wood chips, you wrap them in a uh, aluminum foil pouch, you poke holes in the top with the probe of a thermometer, you place that under the grill grate directly over one of the burners, and that delivers a smoke flavor that you can actually see the smoke rising from the
1: uh, the packet. smoker pouch. Right.
2: Yeah, and you know, I'd say you get about maybe 30% of the smoke flavor on a gas grill than you will on a uh, charcoal grill. So you know what? Bottom line, if you can possibly, if you, even if you have a gas grill you love, you might want to invest in a charcoal grill for smoking because it's so much more effective.
1: If, if you're truly committed, right? <laughs> if you're truly committed. <laughs> I'm planning my Stephen Reichlin summer menu and i want you to know it's starting with bacon grilled onion rings beautiful oh my and then your reverse seared tomahawk and the tomahawk is all the rage so if you would share some tips to grilling a tomahawk at home i know many of us would appreciate it
2: absolutely so a tomahawk first of all is a rib steak where they've left the rib bone long they haven't cut it off so yeah. flintstone steak the flintstones, very dramatic looking. Yes. Especially if you get a thick one. Now, a thick one, you know, can weigh upwards of a pound and a half. It can be upwards of, you know, it can be two inches thick. So, when you cook a steak like that, uh, it's hard to direct grill it all the way through. So, I recommend a method called reverse searing. Now, what is reverse searing? Reverse searing, you, in effect, you indirect grill the steak uh, with wood chips on the coals, so you're actually smoke roasting it. At a low temperature, let's say about 250 degrees, for about 40 minutes to raise the internal temperature of the steak to about 100 to 105 degrees. And then you take the steak off, you rest it, you build up your fire, you put it back in a direct grill configuration that is, the meat directly over uh, the blazing coals, mm-hmm. and you the exteriors.
1: Thank you again for more very genius grilling insight and kudos to you. The 31st book from Stephen Reichlin, Better Than Ever. I love having you on the show, Stephen. I hope to see you again soon. I know you're on the road, so thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you to talk.
2: Well, thank you and uh, wishing all your listeners happy grilling.
1: Project Fire is Stephen Reikland's newest Cookbook release—it's a hunger-inducing collection of a hundred innovative recipes for grilling everything, using the power of fire to unlock bold, irresistible flavors. And it is available, of course, on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. Follow his new PBS series by the same name, entitled "Project Fire," and follow Stephen to see his daily barbecue excursions Stephen Reichlin, the grilling guru there's more delicious conversation in your radio be right back This is a place for people that love to eat. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. Want to have a campfire under the stars? Oh, yes. But let's elevate camp out cuisine because Jen Stevenson and her co-writer Marnie Hanel have some Stellar Ideas. Their 2016 cookbook entitled Picnic won an IACP award, and the follow-up book just released called The Campout Cookbook is for, as they say, survivalists with standards. I like that. Think wood-fired pizza skillets, buckwheat buttermilk flapjacks with maple bourbon butter, a tinfoil shrimp boil cooked right over the coals, and a fancy molten chocolate orange campfire cake all made out in the big wide open. For first-time campers to nature lovers alike, whether you're camping and pitching a tent in your own backyard or in the wilderness, the Camp Out Cookbook is the new go-to guide for gourmet Around the fire and under the stars, and Jen Stevenson is gathering us around the campfire to cook. I'm glad to have you back, Jen. Thank you. Yes, I'm so happy to be back. And congratulations! The book is really fabulous. I mean, I wanted okay. to run to the kitchen, and I am not <laughs> the first to pitch a tent. Just so you know. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, start us off, though. What do we need as far as fundamentals? for the ultimate campfire feast.
0: Okay, sure. So, you know, we're very careful packers because once you get out into the great outdoors, you really don't want to have forgotten something extremely important. Like right. the firewood or the wine opener. So we do have a What's in Your Backpack, the definitive packing list. And we kind of broke it down into your essentials. So that would be like your camp stove, your propane, things you just can't forget, your firewood. And then we go down the list and... know we use a lot of foil in our recipes so make sure that you have your foil make sure that you have your fire equipment so Mm -hmm. that you're not burning yourself your can opener i actually went camping last week and forgot the can opener and we were those people walking around to different campsites asking to borrow one so (laughs) so so, yeah i didn't use my own list so it's very important and so then on the others we have extra things like you know pie irons if you're going to make pudgy pies kind of things that are not as essential but super fun to have You know, like a camp cooking tripod if you're going to reheat your beef stew over the fire and things like that. Right. That's very helpful.
1: I love the list because I never thought to bring an S-hook if I was cooking outdoors, right? But you talk about the essentials of uh, the fact that a mason jar is your friend, right? That's your tool of the trade. You do everything with it. We love (laughs) them. Yes, and, and they double as a, a vase for freshly cut flowers, uh, but they're a serving piece. They're a measuring vessel. There are so many things, those mason jars.
0: We pack a lot of mason jars when we're camping and thermoses. We have 99 ways and counting to use thermos. Yes, and I'm Just sure we'll come up with with the hundredth
1: <laughs> before the end of this conversation. <laughs>
2: yes, let's.
1: I think it's important to note that a lot of the best camp out cooking is in the preparation and as you've talked about the list and preparing for you know cooking outdoors but a lot of the recipes have elements that are prepped at home so that really when you get to the campsite there's minimal work and maximum fun as you say
0: exactly that was our goal because the more you prep at home and the more organized you are before you leave the house the more you can just relax when you get to the campsite, and that's really what it's all about. You want to be with your family and your friends and really enjoy the outdoors, but you still want to eat really well. So by, you know, prepping a few things ahead of time, a couple cornbread mixes, some pancake mix, you know, making sure that you have all the equipment that you need. We have an in-the-backpack section on each each recipe, and that's just all the different equipment that you would need that you don't want to forget to make that recipe successful so
1: that you can just relax. Yeah, this is all about the planning, and I, I love that you break it down uh, by each element. Um, but I'm hungry, so let's cook. Okay. Uh, let's talk some recipes. I love that you make fruit rolls. Um, cause yeah. for the drive there, um, one right. needs a snack, um, but they're very inspired, right? So you make a, a mango chili sesame fruit roll mm-hmm. and for the kids and adults alike, it's very simply a fruit puree that's been dehydrated essentially in the oven. Exactly.
0: So just slow and low, we call them slow and low fruit rolls because you make your puree and you cook them on a low heat for several hours. And then, um, you know, they have some different add-ins, like for the mango chili, it's mango puree, there's no added sugar, it's just pure fruit, and then you sprinkle the top with some sesame seeds and just a little pinch of chipotle chili powder, it gives it this nice smokiness, it's not too spicy. And the banana maple walnut is really fun. That's just ripe bananas, a little splash of maple syrup, and then you sprinkle walnuts over the top. And that one comes out really deliciously. Do
1: you like bananas? Oh, definitely. At 175 degrees in your oven, uh, yes. just until it's dry, you say four hours, and then cut it with a pizza cutter uh, and roll right. them. And you yes. do have a, a great snack for a hike or to keep the kids munching in the car. Um, or to keep me happy in the car. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm all for that. Um, and once we get to the campsite, let's make a forest fondue. Oh,
0: yes. Owen oh. is such a crowd pleaser.
1: Okay, so h- how many people are really, I mean, you are, and I love that, you're making fondue out in the big wide open. We are. And yes.
0: Yeah, it's surprisingly easy, this, this recipe. It's just, you take your camembert, and you wrap it in foil. You take a half a pear, fan it out on top of the camembert before you wrap it. Splash it with pear brandy. And then um, you wrap it up and you put it in the coals. And you're going to know when it's done because it's going to smell like heaven. Mm. Just ooey gooey, stinky taste. Yeah. And you pull it out. You sprinkle some hazelnuts. Garnish it with a little bit of rosemary. And then you have just the baguette, tear it into chunks. And then you just kind of dredge right out of the
1: skillet how much are you cooking in the coals directly the coals? on the coals? Yes.
0: You know, it kind of depends. I just went camping last week and we were cooking right on the coals, almost every dish. And it's, it's easy to do. You do, it's there's a learning curve for sure. So we use hardwood charcoal and charcoal chimney to get our coals started and you want them to be nice and gray, not too hot, not going too hot. And then, you know, we we have the formula in the book for if you're doing something in a Dutch oven, you'll want so many coals on top versus so many on the bottom to achieve your temperature. But I mean, you can cook everything from cornbread to cinnamon rolls to nachos to a, a roast chicken in your in your Dutch oven right on the coals. And it's a very very fun and elemental way to cook.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think it's amazing when you consider what you can do. You make a tinfoil shrimp boil. That yes, mm-hmm. I'd love to go camping with you and your pear Brandy, and enjoy. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. Uh, but I could do this on my backyard barbecue too. It's it's the best of a boil, all done in aluminum foil. Absolutely,
0: and that was one of our goals because not everyone wants to go camping. It's a lot of work. And so we wanted this to be accessible, these recipes, for people who just want to make them in their backyard. And that's a really good example. You just, you know, it's kind of that foil packet of our childhood memories. But instead of hamburger and bell peppers, we went with a shrimp foil. So it's got red potatoes, it's got sweet summer corn, Mm. and it's got shrimp, kielbasa, a splash of beer, some butter, and some old bay. And you just wrap it up in the foil, in the cools, and a half hour or so later, kind of depends. You know, you have this delicious shrimp oil in miniature and pass them out, and everyone's very happy.
1: Yeah, really smart. I love that you indulge in a little nostalgia as well because you've elevated some campfire classics with a twist. What exactly right. is a pudgy pie?
0: Oh, sure. <laughs> the pudgy <laughs> pies are so fun. So you need to have a pudgy pie iron, and they're really easy to come by. And they come in different shapes. We use just a classic square. And it's two cast iron squares with long handles, and they clamp together over the fire. So you would put in, you can pick, we we have several options, sweet and savory. So you would take your bread, let's say you're working with, um, you know, just a cinnamon swirl bread. And you'd layer it with whatever you want. We have a recipe for almond butter and honey crisp apple. And you butter both sides of the bread on the outside, you know, you have it in the, in the iron, and then you just clamp it shut and you hold it over the fire so it gets really nice and toasty. And we do several sweet recipes like that, or you can go savory, or you can even do a breakfast version with sausage links and cheddar and maple syrup and
1: freezer waffles. Very easy. The book is really delectable, so congratulations to you. It's very inspired, and it's very elevated, and it makes me want to pitch a tent and go and celebrate summer. Uh, It's called The Campout Cookbook, and it celebrates the magic of gathering around a campfire and sharing a meal with friends. From the IACP award-winning authors of Picnic comes its companion, all about leaving civilization behind and dining under the stars. The Campout Cookbook is already a bestseller on Amazon. The recipes are truly fabulous. Plus, there's inspiration and know-how for every avid, and novice camper alike. The authors, Jen Stevenson and Marnie Hanel. And you can learn more uh, of course, on Jen's website as she uh, travels and celebrates the best of Portland, her hometown, under the table with Jen.com. The book, again, The Campout Cookbook, available now. Jen, always a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your passion. No,
0: well, thank you so much, Jamie. It was wonderful talking
1: with you. I look forward to you coming back again. And uh, cheers to a, to a campout. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's more fabulous food in your radio. Don't go away. where you'll get your quick fix of culinary entertainment every weekend. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. In his debut cookbook, Joe Guerrera, a 40-year veteran of the seafood business and one of New York's most beloved fishmongers, is on a mission to teach the world to cook seafood. From the basics of sourcing to his best tips for poaching, grilling, frying, and sauteing fresh fish, Joe takes the intimidation out of it. And as the owner of Ciderella, a group of popular Epicurean markets, which started with one of the original and most respected neighborhood seafood shops in New York, Joe supplies both home cooks and prestigious chefs all across the United States with their fresh fish offerings, selling two million pounds of seafood per year. And let me tell you, Joe knows Fish. Here with the Fresh Catch is Joe Guerrera, and I am delighted. Hi, Joe. Glad to have you.
3: Thank you, Jamie. How are you?
1: I'm well, and you? Very well. Good. I'm glad. Okay. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm so thrilled uh, because you're sort of a living legacy, and I mean that uh, as a compliment in our industry, and I love that you shared your start in the business, your story in the book, because from your family's fish shop in Greenwich Village to your big break with Wolfgang Puck, it's been a journey, hasn't it? It's
3: been a real blessing. Yes. But, you know, one of the reasons why it's a blessing is because it's never been work to me. I love what I do. And I can honestly tell you, I never said, oh, I need a vacation. Those words have never come out of my mouth. I just love what I do.
1: And, And it comes through. It really does. It's evident.
3: I wish I would have written this book about 15 years ago, but I was building a business then. Right. And I didn't have the infrastructure, and now I've hired a few more upper management people, so I was able to put the effort into writing this book.
1: And I think it should be noted, uh, credit to you and kudos, you employ almost 1,000 people. Uh, A quarter of them, 250 or so, I know, have been with you 20-plus years And that is a testament to who and what you are, but also to spreading the gospel and to really believing in what you do and paying it forward. And there are chefs across this country that wouldn't place an order without calling Joe Guerrero. We know that. I, you know, Wolfgang Puck gave me my start too, Joe. I was 16 years old, staging in his kitchen at Eureka. And I looked at all the business cards on a photo in your book, and those are all the great restaurants of our time.
3: Let me tell you, that's where the food revolution started, in California. Yes. Not New York. It started all in California.
1: Yeah. And, and those chefs have, uh, have brought us a long way, as have you. Okay. I know you don't like rules. But let's talk fish and seafood. There are a few hard and fast rules that you live by and you share when you're cooking fish. So can you review all seven, please? Start with number one.
3: Well, first of all, you, you need the freshest ingredients. I, I, talking about the fish, Yes. talking about good olive oil, mm-hmm. talking about good sea salt. You mm-hmm. don't want table salt. You want all the finest ingredients always. Second, you never use a thermometer. Right. When you're cooking seafood, you need time. And in most professional kitchens, as you would know, there's a second clock hanging on the wall for, for sautéing or for, for, for grilling. Everything is according to time. And by the way, if your cell phone rings, don't answer it.
1: No. <laughs> Well, the only thing we're allowed to pause for is a sip of Chardonnay, right? At the most. At the most. The only time you can
3: look at your cell phone is if you if you put it on a timer. Yes. For Thirty seconds, Th- then you're allowed to.
1: That's it, right?
3: But otherwise, you're not. You're not.
1: And then you say, and I think this is interesting um, because we all get haphazard and and might not do it. You buy fresh fish from the fishmonger, but one must always rinse and pat it dry. Always. Always.
3: Except except when you open a clam or you open an oyster. Right. But all flesh, fish,
1: flesh, fish,
3: should be dried.
1: Number five in the Joe Guerrero rules of Joe knows fish: uh, that pan or grill or otherwise, it better be smoking hot, right? Better be hot. Yeah.
3: Um, otherwise, you can't get the sear that you want. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, at the same time, which it's, the next two, uh, number five and number six, are probably together. And the reason why they're related is because. When the grill or the pan is not hot, mm-hmm. you need to get the sear for the coloring right. and for cooking purposes. Yes. So that's why it has to be hot. Yeah. But then, once it's that hot, be patient. Mm-hmm. If you want it rare, you, you, a piece of tuna, you'll do it for 90 seconds on a side. Mm-hmm. And if you want it medium, you'll do it for maybe two minutes on a side. And if you want it well done, you could do it three minutes on a side. But you only flip it once.
1: Joe, I love that you're sharing your passion um, and continuing to spread the gospel. And I credit you so for 40 years of an extraordinary legacy. Uh, there is no doubt Doubt we all know that Joe knows fish. And congratulations on the book. Um, thank, thank you, you for much. sharing your passion, of course. The essential information you need and want to know about how to buy, prepare, and cook fish Perfectly and simply every time is shared in Joe Knows Fish. It is Joe Guerrera's Great Joy of Seafood. And the book is available on Amazon and at Ciderella.com And you can follow on social at Joe Knows Fish. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary entertainment. I do hope that I satiated your appetite and fed your soul, and that you'll meet me here next weekend for more fabulous inspiration. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour. Because you know, as you've heard me say before, that if you stock your kitchen smartly, you can whip up just about anything at any time. And I know you're firing up the grill this weekend, I just know it because summer has started. This three-ingredient party-ready dish can be done in a flash, and oh, you will be a culinary hero. My last bite recipe for this week is what I call cast-iron ricotta with grilled grapes, and it is a delectable three-ingredient creation. If you keep ricotta cheese, which happens to have a really extended shelf life, in your fridge at all times, and you pick up a loaf of French bread at the start of the week weekend you have a party in the making in my book what I do is I simply spoon the ricotta into a cast iron pan I season it with liberally by the way salt and pepper and I drizzle really good quality olive oil over the top and I place the cast iron pan on my hot barbecue and I wait for it to bubble And then I grill some grapes in clusters left on the vine. Because if you've never had a grilled grape before, oh, they're amazing. Add them to your cheese board, your charcuterie platter, and more. And I serve the hot, delicious, bubbling cheese with the grilled grapes and bread or crackers for dipping. And it really is delectable. I will recap the recipe on social, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.